everyone, and welcome to Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I am Colin, the host, but folks, I am not going to be the main host today uh, because we have a really special treat for you. If you uh, heard last year, we did a deep dive with Kristen about uh, her kind of expertise on animals and how animals in the avatar world uh, were all kind of related in the way that she did classifications. So when we were talking with the hosts, we wanted to try to do something similar, tapping into our hosts kind of like respective, like just things that they're really good at and that they do in real life besides nerding out about avatar stuff. (laughs) Um, And this week I am really, really pumped uh, because Kevin Hello, Kevin. Hi, everybody. He is going to be uh, talking to us about some... Well, you know what? I'm just going to hand it over, and he's going to let you know what we're going to be talking about. I'll be along here for the ride, and uh, let's get into this. All right. Well, I'm going to do a shout-out to one of my favorite history podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Revolutions. I'm Kevin, your host with Colin. Today, we're going to be doing a comparison of the Equalist Revolution to revolutions that have happened in the real world, and in particular, one that I think fits this mold very closely. Very cool. <laughs> and if you guys, and I think as a perfect transition, I have a cat currently purring crazily on my lap. So <laughs> the transition from Kristen's episode on animals to this on history. Thank you, Zoe, for being there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so I'm new to this format, so I'm excited to give this a go. So I've actually uh, I sent Colin my uh, my little word document here, and to give you a hint of what we're going to be going into, the title is "Non-Benders of the World Unite." So as you might guess, I'm going to go into the Russian Revolution, and more in particular the one of 1917. So fun enough, uh, the Revolutions Hot podcast I listen to is currently doing the Russian Revolution. So if you're a big history buff, I recommend uh, taking a little jaunt over there and listening to that. Um, I went over a few different revolutions trying to come up with something that would fit the Equalist Revolution really well. Um, And I settled on the Russian. And I considered the French, because the French one is kind of the big one that everyone compares to, but I didn't think it really fit this, you know, cult of personality that Amon had for the revolution. I thought about the American one, because, you know, I'm from America. Um, (laughs) But that one, when you think about it, was kind of more of a civil war political revolution. It wasn't really like a socioeconomic like we saw here with the non-benders trying to rise up. Uh, I saw an interesting one looking into this a little more. There was on the Avatar Wiki, people were talking about the Taiping Rebellion in China. And that one kind of fit a lot of the bill. It had a cult of personality. It was a big change to society. It was a little more religious, maybe, than the Equalist Revolution, but it may not be as well known to history, which is kind of funny considering China is, you know, a quarter of the world's population and pretty much all of its civilization <laughs> through history. Um, but the Russian Revolution kind of stood out to me probably because, as we've seen, when you see those Equalist posters, it just has that flair for, like, the the 1910s, 1920s um, comparison to the real world. And that's kind of what the creators also were going for a rapidly industrializing society leading to all this changes occurring in the world. Um, And of course the fact that these non-benders were kind of trying to rise up to equalize everything, not just, 
get equal rights, but also force equal rights by making everyone else non-benders. So I kind of thought that fit a little bit more with the kind of the communist manifesto that developed. So was uh, was at that point, um, I can't remember, I may be mixing up my timelines for Russian history, but was that when it was Pravda was the uh, like the publication that came out during that time? Or am I thinking I, of something completely different? I want to say yes. So it's funny. I actually am, a, by trade, a physicist. I happen to be, just be very good at... You are exactly correct. Yes! yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Um, I In the Revolutions podcast, he's only just now getting to 1905, so I haven't hit the Pravda yet. <laughs> um, but yes. Yep. So that, And actually, this is going to be one of the big topics of this talk, is the change in communications. Um, that comes up. So, yeah, looking into it. So Colin mentioned Pravda, which was, according to Google, and Google is never wrong, official newspaper of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Um, and one of the big comparisons I want to make to Legend of Korra and or the Avatar world and the Communist Revolution is that radio played such a huge role mm. in and publications in, in mass, uh, I guess, for that time mass communications played such a big role in spreading ideas um, and leading to the revolution. So part of this is also going to be a dive a little bit into the comics. So if you haven't read The Promise or The Rift, uh, you can pause now and then go read them right now, which I think you should just do anyway. Um, This is coming from someone who up until about a month ago hadn't read any of the comics, and I now can't put them down. (laughs) Um, it's, It's just watching Avatar in a different form. Um, and of course it seems like the writers were like, you know what we should do? We should write in five tough blind jokes, a comic. And <laughs> every time you're just like that, damn it. That's really good. <laughs> uh, the one I saw today on Instagram with all, did you see this one, Colin, where I think it was live action avatar posted. It was like everyone scribbling their names, like as a signature and Toffs is just like all over the page. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, it's so bad, but it's so good. Um, but I'm going to do a little bit uh, with the comics because they kind of set the table really well for the revolution that happens to the Equalists. Um, just as for the Russians, there was a revolution in 1905 that kind of set the table for the bigger one in 1917. Um, so this was my big reason for the comparison between the two. Uh, you had a rapid industrialization from a feudal society where only a few people used to have power and ideas. And now a lot of people suddenly have power and ideas are spreading quickly. You have a society that's taking all these previously downtrodden people and empowering them. Um, and each, of course, have a cult of personality. Lenin for the communists, Amon for the equalists, both promising to lead the people to freedom and equality. So looking it up, I thought it seemed like a good comparison. And I only have a little bit for the promise here, but what I thought was interesting was that it was, I kind of looked at it as like the seed for everything, which was uh, the promise revolves around a promise between Zuko and Aang. I don't think that spoils too much. Um, But what comes up in the promise is that there's a clash of cultures because obviously you have the Earth Kingdom kind of, uh, well, having been invaded by the Fire Nation, the Fire Nation left some colonies. And now the Fire Nation is retreated, but the colonies are still there. And the promise kind of mentions that this is what's occurring. It doesn't dive too deep into it. That's where the rift comes in. Um, So for the Russian Revolution side, it was kind of more like there wasn't this, you know, 
colonization, which is why I kind of thought the American Revolution at some point might come into play, but um, we're just going to have to leave those two as just being uh, just a little bit of difference. Um, but in the Rift, that's where all of a sudden things start really going down. And I know, Colin, you probably could do, and you are, have already done a deeper dive into these, um, but what I thought was interesting in the Rift was the showing of how rapidly society industrialized once uh, then Cranefish Town had been created, where all of a sudden you had this blend of cultures and ideas and a lot of people congregating where all of a sudden ideas are spreading faster. Um, people are coming up with more ingenious ways of uh, building machines that can be used by, uh, I couldn't get over this line, even a non-bender could use it. And it was <laughs> one of those, the the reason I love that line, well, not that I love it, but I think that line was just very fitting for why I thought the Russian Revolution applied so well, which is even a non-bender can do it. Not only was it a showing that benders thought non-benders were, you know, less than they were, um, just just as a side, but that the view of non-benders was that, well, oh, no, you just go off and you just be in a corner somewhere. No, we don't care about you. Um, and it's that that culture of you know that toxic culture of saying of trying to keep people essentially rep- uh, oppressed. That uh, the more you try, as history has shown, the more you try and oppress a group of people, it works to a degree. And then you usually hit that tipping point, and all of a sudden everything just goes to hell in a handbasket. Um, <laughs> and that's a little bit. And I, I have a few other lines that I just I loved from that. The, the not even non-betters can use it from Satoru. I just I couldn't get over. Um, but there's a few other times where in the sister, you know, saying like you know, uh, what was it? Trying to return to the natural order of things. Like after the cat was out of the bag with these non-benders being able to do things to benders and. It was just incredible to me seeing this. Um, I have to say, I'm impressed that the writers of the comics wrote it this way because it, it's a pretty deep topic. I'm not saying that the rest of Avatar doesn't dive into things like that, but they they didn't hold punches in the comics. No, not at all. And one of the things I was going to mention too is that, like the I, I love that in this like rapid industrialization. I mean, that's it, it's so crazy to think of a world that you didn't need the resources that became such a focal point for our own history with coal and oil being these like huge parts of industrialization in like the late uh, late 1800s and into uh, the early 1900s. But in Avatar, firebenders can just firebend and earthbenders mm-hmm. can earthbend and suddenly it's just transferred to like human labor to produce resources that you would normally have to mine, distill, and find a way to be able to power things. Yeah, yeah, I never thought of it that way, which is, you know, because in this case, they they already kind of sort of had the resources, but it was individual people having to do it um, in order to produce something similar, which was steam power. And now they're like, oh, wait, we can make steam steam from coal, and we can mine coal initially with benders, and then eventually they're like, well, wait a minute. Even a non-bender could run these machines. <laughs> and then, you know, and then all of a sudden the benders start gaining the power of knowledge and, um, you know, I, I should say, you know, self-empowerment and things like that and start spreading those ideas to other people. And that's, you know, as we see, I don't want to go too much into the comics and give too much away for people who haven't seen it, but um, it cascades pretty quickly. Um, and that's what happens in the Russian Revolution as well. I mean, Russia went from now, like, some history on this one is the English were kind of no, known as like the start of the industrial revolution, late 1700s, early 1800s. Russia didn't really 
catch up for a long time. And it wasn't until the late 1800s that all of a sudden Russia started to industrialize. And so for them, it was an even bigger culture shock of going from complete agrarian to all of a sudden they're like, oh, now we're industrializing. And now all of a sudden a lot of people are coming together. They're urbanizing. um, And with all that urbanization becomes conflict. And that's a big part of the rift is the conflict that starts to erupt between benders and non-benders now that they're in bigger concentrations. um, Benders are starting to, you know, the bad apples are starting to use their power against non-benders, not that non-bender bad apples didn't do the same thing back to them. Um, And we start to see a conflict developing where those with the power are starting to oppress those without the power. And it's that, I think that undercurrent of resentment that we didn't, we only got to see very briefly in Korra with the equalist movement, but I think the comics do a great job of doing this, um, going back and doing the story and saying, no, this oppression, this, everything like this, this is why the equalists were so drawn to Amon, someone who came in and started promising him, no, we're, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make this better. And then Amon develops the cult personality because he can fix it and can't, well, and by fix it, I mean, take away people's bending. Um, but it's this, uh, this undercurrent of resentment that just erupts in Korra. And that's why I liked the Russian revolution, which was, there was this undercurrent that the workers started to feel that they were being oppressed by this, by the aristocrats, by the, by the Tsarist government. And they decide that they're just not going to take it anymore, uh, which mm. is always a great revolution. But what I thought was interesting in, uh, about the Russian revolution as well was that, um, was that it was a kind of Russia was a multi-ethnic empire as well. Like they took over the Poles, they took over Siberia, a bunch of other locations and started to try to make everybody Russians. Mm. And we see in the rift an issue where both sides, the earth kingdom and the fire nation are trying to keep the fire nation colonies as theirs where the earth kingdom is like, no, they're on our land. Therefore they must be earthbenders uh, or the earth nation where I, I think the interesting thing I had to separate in avatar was that there's a difference between nations now and cultures mm. where it used to be water nation, water culture, earth kingdom, earth culture. Now it's, earth kingdom fire culture and then the it's still and then the two cultures are kind of melding um and it's interesting it's because of the earth and fire benders coming together that they start discovering what they're able to do together Mm. um and how they're able to start mining for all these materials how they're able to start making these more refined materials and then the irony of that is that then the non-benders start getting involved uh because cheap labor and as actually i think they said it at at some point that uh the benders in the factory uh, were skilled, so therefore they commanded higher wages. And I'm just like, ooh, interesting. So now all of a sudden <laughs> these these non-benders who don't uh, have as much power, like all of a sudden they're becoming uh, more empowered. Um, so I thought that was that was kind of interesting to see how the mix of cultures started to also contribute to the people like seeing something different. You know, how like capitalism like introduces people to different ideas or as you, sh- you mentioned... Um, different materials to then do, you know, different things in industrialization. Um, How this is all contributing to a bigger whole, which is that the benders view the non-benders as lower. Well, I shouldn't say they all do, but like that was kind of a almost that was the culture. That was just how people thought of things. And now that the non-benders are starting to come on, um, it's breeding all this tension and resentment. Well, and it's I mean, it's something that has been so deeply entrenched in the avatar world for the longest time because it is this idea of 
I mean, it, it that's it's always like the way that I kind of look at it is when you look at a world like Harry Potter and how the wizarding world is separate from the muggle world. They purposefully kind of hide their like abilities and everything because it, it, it's like as soon as you have like some people who can do crazy things that others just flat out can't and have that power it's like immediately there is such a huge difference and it's not even necessarily with like money versus like lower class like working class with everything no that's a very good point um yeah because like i mean it is like the avatar you know all four elements and all the and he represents the benders and the interesting i thing i thought that came out of the rift in Korra was that Korra isn't as a one of the people on the streets mentioned to Korra you're our avatar too and it was so now yeah and i thought that was interesting because it's a good point it's it's almost like all of a sudden having a bunch of muggles at hogwarts castle that are like well we discovered you know now we have this cool thing of electricity and we're essentially wizards (laughs) (laughs) which which is kind of sort of what ends up happening in Korra um where the rift Bred the resentment, but then later on, the like you know Sato Industries um, and Cabbage Corp and all them started to build this industrialization. I can't remember his name. Was it Sataru? Um, who was interested in the uh, the little truck, or not truck? The uh, like the little lift cart. Oh, the forklift. He, the forklift. Yeah. Um, where he where he looked at it and went, hmm. You know, I have an idea. <laughs> it was a cabbage. No, it was merchant, cabbage man. man. It yeah. was right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was like, no, Sataru, like, he started with it, but then the Cabbage Man saw it, and then he took it and ran. And I thought that was interesting because it showed that for Korra, or going into Korra, what became almost as important as bending was ideas. And mm. the ideas that the non-benders had were eventually, you know, leading to um, improved mechanization of things that enabled non-benders to do things that benders used to be able to do, like crushing rock or... Um, you know, running a furnace and looking at our benders and non-benders comparison. Now, all of a sudden we have these non-benders that are able to do the things that benders used to be able to do, like being able to crush rock to get ore or being able to refine uh, the ore into something else that, you know, previously only earthbenders and firebenders could do. Um, We now get to see that non-benders are bringing more to the table. And now that they're able to physically do more things and they're able to talk to one another a little bit better with um, increased communications, uh, now they're starting to, they're able to organize more in Korra. They're able to spread their ideas more. And then eventually when they come up with electricity, they essentially come up with some uh, their own form of bending in a way. Um, so now all of a sudden these non-benders are empowered and they've had this fair amount of resentment under the surface. And usually when you mix power and resentment, it's awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is, and it's something similar that happens in the Russian Revolution, which is now you have this rapid industrialization, a lot of urbanization, a lot of previously agrarian workers now becoming more knowledgeable um, in mechanics and uh, what the industrialization has spread, that they now have a power that they never had before. Um, and when you tie that in with uh, both Cora and the Russian Revolution came at the same time, started to have printing presses, started to have newspapers, started to have radios. All of a sudden, ideas are spreading faster and faster. And then I think one of the most interesting things to me, and if you ever read a book, it's called, um, I think it's called Sapiens, The Story of Us. Mm. 
Um, one of my favorite parts of that book, and I hope it's not spoiling too much, is the idea of fictionalization, which is that humans can fictionalize in our heads. Like if I see big purple, you know, spotted elephant, you can think in your head, a big purple spotted elephant. Um, it's an idea. Mm. It's not actually a thing. Like you can't actually touch what I just told you about, but you can think about it. Um, and it's an idea is that's what they are is me giving you my view of something, my fictionalization of something. So in Korra and, uh, and the, I guess the prequel comics, that idea is that of non-benders being empowered. Um, now Amon takes it and kind of perverts that into also making benders have no power. Um, and we could see, for instance, in the Russian revolution, something like that happens too, where initially the idea was to raise the proletariat up. And then communism kind of was like, you know, we also should take the people up there down. <laughs> and, mm. um, and that may not have been its initial goal, but that's what ends up happening. Um, so now in Russia, you have a similar story, which is, you know, all this industrialization spread of ideas um, with an undercurrent of resentment. And it leads to uh, the overthrow of the Tsarist regime. The first revolution, 1905, kind of sets the stage where it was the dissatisfaction of the people. Uh, Showing, you know, essentially the government, here's, we don't like this anymore, we want these things. And that did fine and dandy for a little bit. And then we kind of come to a what was the other difference I noticed between the Russian Revolution and Korra, was that the Russian Revolution, for or the, I guess the Communist Revolution, we could call it, just to be easy, um, even if I'm not technically correct, in 1917 was precipitated by World War One, mm, And... Mm-hmm. And everyone trying to go, you know what? We're going to get out of this war. This is terrible. Let's bail. For the Equalists, it wasn't necessarily the same thing um, because there wasn't really any war going on, per se, that Amon came in on. Um, but I still think the general comparison is there, which is the Russians were an industrialized um, or rapidly industrialized people um, with dissatisfaction and in a way just kind of wanted to bring it all tumbling down so that way they can build something else up again. Um, and that's where I liked uh, also bringing in the comparison of the cult of personality. You had Lenin on the Russian side, a person who for years had been kind of um, building a base of support among the people. And maybe he may not have been the full central figure at the time. I mean, eventually he took everybody else out and was, um, but he he was personally prom- almost personally promising that I will make these things happen for you. I will bring equality. Um, and Amon, we have something similar where Amon, I initially was a little upset that they didn't continue the storyline of the Equalists further into the show. Um, I know, you know, if they had unlimited time, they might have done other things in that first season. Um, but I think what wrapped it up for a bow for me was reading about the curse of, cult of personality that was Amon and thinking of the fact that a lot of that movement continued because Amon had promised so many things and could deliver on them. Um, he could take away people's bending. He could do all these things. And then when all of a sudden he was found out to be a fraud, everyone had taken all their hopes and dreams of not just equality initially, and then eventually, you know, I guess forced equality by bringing the non-benders down to their level, but they had placed all those hopes now on Amon. And once he was out of the picture and shown to be a fraud, it's like, well... I guess everything <laughs> it's like we, we do still see some of the equalist rumblings later on, but once he tumbles, um, everyone else kind of goes with him because they made the jump from wanting equality as a non-bender to wanting the benders to be equal to them, to 
putting everything in Amon. And I see kind of something similar a little bit with Lenin, which is Lenin does ultimately deliver the promise to take the Russians out of World War I. Um, he does a lot of things that the people see as being delivering of promises. So then they transferred their views of, well, we just we wanted some better working conditions to, well, we just didn't really like the Tsar anymore to, well, I guess we could work with Lenin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that went for a little while. Um, so there are. And obviously the difference there is that Amon tumbled and was out of the picture and then everything fell apart. Whereas after Lenin took over, the Soviets were in control for some time. Mm. Well, it's it, I think it's interesting, too, that you have uh, this idea that once Amon was exposed as a fraud, that it just how quickly everyone it, that all got deflated too and i I think we we kind of talked about this too in our like discussion of like the last like uh two episodes of uh book one of Korra was that you know we wish we could have seen more of that but especially kind of thinking of it in that context that it makes sense that a lot of that movement would be deflated because on top of aman you also had Hiroshi Sato, who was like the money behind it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, exactly. and he's taken out and he's in prison. So it's just like both financial and inspirational sides of it were just completely taken out from underneath them. Yeah, exactly. And I was starting to, th- and I, when I was trying to compare these two revolutions, I started looking into it more. When you figure it, it's if Lenin, like such a you know force of personality like Lenin was taken out, it's not that the revolution may not have happened. Maybe it would have. Um, but to say it would have been a pretty big kick to it would be an understatement. Um, and especially when by then everyone had put all their hopes in Amman as being the face of revolution, um, it kind of took away almost every everything that they were organizing behind. Whereas if they had organized behind maybe a different, equalist leader maybe someone that was a little bit more political um maybe things would have worked out differently if such a big personality was taken out um or if there was like a a number two or someone who oh exactly more like a successor because i mean that was i mean i know i'm jumping ahead of things but that was kind of like where stalin was able to step in when lenin exactly Yes, that's, you know, that's a very good point. Yeah, exactly. There was someone who was working behind the scenes to essentially take the reins right away after Lenin passed away. And you could probably argue if Lenin died, Trotsky, who was a slightly Mm. different political believer uh, than he was, but still on the Soviet side, may have been able to take over. Um, But so there are some differences between these two revolutions. But what I what I took away from it was that you had this strong personality advocating for equality and promising it to this um, this industrialized, uh, uh, kind of awoken, educated people um, and tried to lead them to the the goal that they wanted, which was equality. Mm. Um, it worked in one case, didn't work in another. Well, when I say worked, I mean with quotation marks. Uh, worked in one <laughs> case, didn't work in the other. Um, but I thought it was interesting how much the creators ended up paralleling real history uh, through the comics to Korra which was industrialized people, improved communications, um, uh, modernizing society. And with the modernizing society that has increased communication and increased education and, I guess, you know, kind of um, empowered people um, in a very tight, confined space, 
with different cultures overlapping, um, you almost kind of like you're almost setting up a powder keg of mm. different explosives. And in the Eclipse Revolution, it like it started to explode, especially at the end when. Now, this I thought was kind of fun was the comparison between the Equalists taking over at the end and the Russians taking over was they both were in armed takeover. Mm. Amont, <laughs> they both, like, they saw a weakness in the government and went for it. And in the Equalist case, I think you can make an argument that if Amon didn't, uh, well, I mean, he died. Let's let's call it like it is. Um, if he wasn't exposed and killed, um, based on the, the fight scenes we were seeing and based on the the resentment that had built already in the people, there was a pretty strong force of movement. It's hard to say that Amon wouldn't have taken over Republic City completely. Um, and it would have been difficult to unseat him. Um, if let's say the Eclis had actually taken over, uh, Republic City for good for a little bit. Mm. And how that would have completely changed the, you know, the idea of, uh, the identity of Republic City, but then also, it's like I feel like it was also that idea when the revolution happened in Russia. Suddenly, all of the like governments around the world started panicking because exactly they were like, "Oh no, what if this happens here?" <laughs> yeah, what if all these icky people decide that they're tired of these absolute monarchs? Which I mean, look at Korra. You have essentially. Until uh, Ang, you know, and the Fire Lord, and the Fire, they're they're all absolute monarchs. <laughs> yep. So could you imagine all of a sudden Republic City falls and every, you know, and all these people look up and they're like, well, you know, the Earth King didn't exactly do us a lot of favors when he was in power either. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, you know, it it's interesting because I even think in the one of the comics, I think one of the points was about how the Earth King had a was very weak because he had non-benders in his protection force. Mm. Um. And it was. Let me correct. Let me double check that. Oh, I'm sorry. No, the no, the king being a non-bender himself um, made him weak. And it was one of those like interesting points where I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny. So then, like, you know, imagine if all of a sudden the benders are like, well, our king is weak. We should knock them out. And then the non-benders go, well, that stinks because then we'll be repressed. So we're going to counter revolution. <laughs> I know. I know that's probably a little deeper than Avatar would ever go, but um, it's interesting how close that parallels real life were. You know, we had a lot of these, you know, like the French Revolution may have been a good comparison to that one where the French Revolution erupts and all of a sudden the people took over and every other government went, uh, that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) And then evaded and then everyone invaded them right away. Um, Didn't work out fully. But that's why I was kind of curious about the French Revolution with this one, because I'm like, oh, well, if Republic City was was being taken over, the, the, you know, the United Forces came and tried to knock them back out. It was kind of funny. I'm like, oh, it's almost French in a way. Um, hmm. But no, I, I I do like the that the creators mirrored our own world um, in a way because it was almost like how we watched, uh, like when you look through history, like we always kind of look at it as like a forward pointing arrow of progress. Maybe it's a little bit messier than that. Um, but in Korra, they kind of did the same thing, which was that they had this pre-industrial society and they said, you know what, what if it kind of mirrored where we're going here? Because they also have different, um, and you're probably better at this uh, as the filmmaker with the eye for it, but obviously Korra had a lot of other undertones to it um, that mirror our current modern society. Mm. Uh, you know, strong women, um, 
the impacts of people who don't agree with you. Yes. <laughs> and when you have to work with them anyway, and how you make that happen. Um, like they, they kind of, they jumped society so that way they could also jump forward in time to current issues that we were facing um, mm. in our real world. So I like that they kind of paid homage to how humans had gone through their progress up to now um, and how they made Avatar go through kind of the same, I'd say like growing pains in a way. Yeah. Um, where you have these different societies that have to figure out how to interact and sometimes it ends violently. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately that's the, you know, we'd like to say that isn't what should happen all the time, but as history has showed us, that's probably usually what happens. Mm. So one of the things that I really enjoy that you brought up, too, is that the idea of uh, technology and communication, uh, especially being such a vehicle for empowerment. And I mean, this is like my <clears throat> like I just being just a film nerd, like one of the most interesting parts about that time and especially in Russia was the introduction of film by. Uh, a filmmaker by the name of uh, Sergei uh, Sergei Eisenstein. Um, he basically went around. He created these like Bolshevik propaganda films, and they went on trains all across Russia, and they would set up these projectors in these small like rural towns, and they would show them these films that were like showcasing how the proletariat was going to rise up again and how the aristocrats were these just people who were taking advantage of them and weren't really caring about anything. And it, it made me think about what we see in season two of Korra with Varric inventing the camera and how different that would have been and how it could have been even of, of a parallel if Amon was still in power. And if, oh, this if is, Republic this City had great. been turned... Yeah. So if everyone gets a chance, Google this person. That is like the best photo ever. He's like a troll doll, I think is the best <laughs> description I can give. Um, that's really interesting. And that's a good point because, yeah, Amon took radio alone and could spread his ideas by, I mean, initially, like non-benders could only talk to each other by, you know, walking up and talking to each other unless someone on an ostrich horse was delivering mail. Um, and now all of a sudden, all these non-benders could combine on their, you know, their emotions, their feelings and talk about with one another and kind of almost ramp the other up into a fervor as we could. I mean, you, we saw it in the rift where uh, underground benders were conspiring against non benders on the council. Um, well, you know, granted that was underneath, but it's, it's the spread of ideas that I love that Cora was bringing. You're right. If Amon could have access to a, uh, like not only, you know, such a big propaganda arm, because again, like you're saying, it's like in this way you could stoke up these peasants who probably had never seen anything even remotely like this technology. All of a sudden this comes in and is helping them. You know, it's the same way we all feel when you see a, a movie where, you know, you know, it's fiction, but it still makes you feel emotions. Mm, yeah. um, and now you've politicized it. Yeah. And I mean, so, it, and, and Varric at the end of the day was a non-bender. So, I mean, that's if anything... I mean, I think at the end of the day, his true loyalties lie with the almighty dollar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but that's a good point. But but it's interesting what, when you can think of, you know, how ideas um, impact different people in different ways. Could you imagine if Eric had the same past that people like Sato had had? Mm. Um, 
where someone who had gone through those same problems now all of a sudden had their ideas being recognized and have new access to new technologies and then bring all their emotions to bear through that new medium. Um, which is a lot of what we see for the Russian side, which is all these ideas all of a sudden spread exponentially. Like if it's remained an agrarian society, it probably wouldn't have been as big of a problem, but because it was such a quick culture shock and the ideas were able to spread so quickly, people like, you know, Lenin through, I'm trying to remember their newspaper. Oh, I should remember this from revolutions. Um, we're spreading their ideas rather rapidly and building up this, this base of support. Um, and eventually led to this revolution that was fairly popular, um, which goes to show how great the Tsar was doing. At the time. But it's, but that's why I think it's interesting seeing it in Republic city was that it wasn't so unpopular that it was difficult for Amman to take over and to take over, a, you know, that the, what I always thought was interesting thinking back on it was the amount of power Amman had to have that arena under his control. He had that corner of the city, his, and, and it was his because the people helped support him in it. And that's why he also was filling the stands because those people supported him. So obviously it wasn't an unpopular movement, um, which is why I was, was so interesting uh, what they could have done with it. Because I feel like they could have went something almost very similar to a Russian revolution, which is that he did. Could you imagine? He does take over Republic City. And then the next season or two is Cora improving on the elements, improving um, as a person to eventually try and take him down. Yeah, I mean, it would have, it would have uh, completely affected the entire trajectory of the show. I, I think that instead of it being four seasons, four different villains, four different ideologies, which I love and I think is great in its own sense, it would have been more like the original series where you have this big bad and there is just this overwhelming fight that you're going to have to that you're going to have to do and you're fighting against a force whereas in the original series it was the fire nation this mm -hmm. massive amount of like the warships that they had their army their presence across the world that was the overwhelming force whereas aman it's an idea and it's this idea that all of the non-benders everywhere suddenly are feeling empowered and anyone who has felt discrimination from a bender no matter what nation that they're from suddenly hears the call of someone who will make things better and it would completely destabilize the world and i mean that that's also from a writing standpoint that would be such a huge undertaking <laughs> oh, oh oh yeah because you might all of a sudden it's yeah no, it's like Cora could barely get along with anybody around her, let alone try to convince all these other people. No, 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 it's okay. <laughs> uh, but you're right. But it's a. But you're right. It, it could be interesting where all of a sudden these other people that probably are also feeling the same thing could also feel empowered in other areas of the world. Yeah, it, and if, and the implications of that. But you know, they as you said, they kind of want a different trajectory. I mean, for necessary reasons. Um, but it is. It is cool kind of seeing how um, how technology starts to play a role in Avatar and seeing how technology and communications played a role in the real world mm. um, and just how different it is when all of a sudden it isn't just, as you said, fighting against a force, but fighting against an idea. And those are a little bit harder to stomp out. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I had gotten I 
feel bad. I don't think I got into as much of the revolution portions as I could um, of of the real world. But what I found interesting was just how much the comics just either, I don't know, inadvertently or coincidentally end up kind of pulling from how world history has gone. Um, where what ends up happening at the end of a mix of cultures, um, a lot of people in a small area, a industrializing base and all of a sudden this mass spread of communication um it seems like communication usually is how a a lot of uh i mean look back at uh the old avatar people were still finding out that the avatar was alive like how far into the series yeah (laughs) (laughs) and now all of a sudden everyone's like oh yeah no no we heard about that yeah yeah no we know you were coming um i just i thought it was really interesting going through the comics and seeing how much groundwork they laid in those um, and the ideas that they make you think about and watching the characters have to come to terms with it. Watching Toph, Sokka, Katara, Aang all have to deal with, you know, the ideas that people are bringing to the table. Cause it's always a lot easier to, you know, to you're going to go fight the fire Lord. Okay. Well, that's an easy enough arc. Get, get stronger, beat the fire Lord. That's easy. Um, but as we saw with Aang, something that he couldn't necessarily fully stop it because obviously Korra had to deal with the consequences later was this spread of ideas mm-hmm. and this mixing of cultures that um, ultimately wasn't really solved, obviously. Yeah. Um, and Aang knows it's a problem. And that's the worst part is he tries so hard not to kill anybody. <laughs> he tries so hard not to step on anybody's toes, um, especially in the promise. Um, and then again, in the rift, he tries not to ruffle anyone's feathers, but as we saw here, the problem is he couldn't just, you know, and the same for Korra, you couldn't just beat it out of them. Yeah. Um, now what you had was a lot of people that have a problem, and if you try and stomp it out, um, it just makes things worse. And you saw it in the Russian Revolution, the Tsar's like, oh, you know, that's a bad idea. I should really do something about this. And then the people are like, well, that was... <laughs> it's like, oh, great, now it's... Um, I'm trying to think. I keep thinking of Monty Python. Help, help, I'm being repressed. <laughs> uh, it's essentially what happens in world history, too. It's like you have this, maybe if you can snuff something out when it's, you know, a little bit of kindling, maybe you could actually use force to take it out. But once it, once the fire gets big enough, stomping on the firewood is just going to help it spread. It's um, only going to hurt you. <laughs> ex- exactly. And it's only going to hurt you. And, you know, the Russian Revolution was this big undercurrent of resentment and attempted... Um, oppression and it went awful and then the people eventually said well that's enough of that um and it and i think back to the scene where cora restrained herself um from fighting all the non-benders uh you could, i'm trying to remember the exact episode um uh where she's in the streets where there was that moment where she could use her bending to try and stop uh, a lot of the stuff that tarlock was doing in the city but it was at that exact moment where she actually was restrained um, that probably ended up ultimately saving her later on in the series because could you imagine if she had uh, all of a sudden the Avatar, this great bender, used her power against non-benders? It would have been the greatest Kuaman could ever have. Um, But ultimately, Korra goes a different arc than the Russian Revolution because uh, she restrains herself. I'm not going to say it's the only reason, but, you know, her restraining herself from being, you know, everything that the non-benders or the equalists wanted her to be. Um, 
and then the eventual unmasking of Amon showing everything that they thought about him was a fraud. Um, if thankfully for the Avatar world, Peter's out. Um, <laughs> doesn't go away, but it Peter's out where it could have very easily gone the other way. Um, and I think, you know, obviously this is a fictional series, but when you think, as we were just talking about, when you think about the implications, um, considering how the Russian revolution went, it obviously would have been a very extreme change to the avatar world. Well, that it, it, it really is so fascinating with, I, I love all these connections that you've made with this. And, but, but here, here is my real question though, Kevin is Uh-oh. who is the, uh, avatar equivalent of Rasputin? Oh, <laughs> the most interesting man in all of history. <laughs> If you ever get a chance, everybody, go just Google Rasputin. He's not just a very good dark Baltic porter uh, beer. He <laughs> he is like the weirdest dude in the world, um, and no one could ever kill him. Oh, uh, who would he be? Uh. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm going to have to save that for the next episode. Yes. Um, <laughs> but from what I hope from this was that uh, as another great history podcast uh, went over hardcore history, um, history has kind of ruined me from good fiction um, because I find history just utterly fascinating. The fact that this all happened and people just like you and me had to deal with these things, uh, it's just really cool when you try and put yourself in their their shoes and think about how crazy the history really was. Um, and I hope you all go read the comics because, oh my God, they're so good. <laughs> um <laughs> And they don't shy away from talking about the big issues. Uh, they don't shy away from uh, making the main characters have a lot of tension um, while they try and sift through these uh, problems that they have. Um, and I should add that the animation styles are all extremely different and all good in their own ways. Um, mm. it, it was kind of a shock for me to all of a sudden see them kind of change uh art direction between the different series but then once you uh read them a little bit more you're like oh wow that's really cool they you know it's really interesting getting to see different artists work come to life mm-hmm. um and seeing the gang in kind of different um different forms of art for sure <laughs> so if i taught everyone here anything it's um please please be nice to other people <laughs> <laughs> Is I think the, I think the takeaway from Korra and world history is just be nice to other people. You'd be surprised; it doesn't hurt. Yes, yes. <laughs> Very cool, awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for this amazing deep dive. Um, I I'm very excited uh, to kind of reflect more on this and we'll also be sharing some really cool photos uh, showing some of these figures that uh, Kevin was talking about today, both in the Russian Revolution and then, of course, from the first season of Korra with Amon and the Equalist Revolution. Um, yeah, this is this is great. I, I, I'm excited to have you do round two of this again because... I, I got a feeling that, you know, we had Aman, but then we also have Zahir in book three mm. of Korra and what and how much different of a revolution that oh, is. Oh, that will be a good one. And how that led to Kuvira and everything that happens there. Um and dude, even even now where they're they just we just uh part three of Ruins of the Empire just dropped. 
I saw. And I have not gotten to those yet. And that comic is buck wild because it you talk about also parallels between our own modern world. I mean, there is everything from just like uh the like instituting democracy into a post like monarchy if like authoritarian world and like how that's supposed to go down oh, and how that's where they go oh I, oh boy all right yeah. i can't wait for part two now <laughs> uh, now i have some more comics to go by just take my money avatar just take <laughs> awesome all right well folks and thank again thank you so much kevin for putting this together um and thank you all listeners for tuning in for this uh we hope you enjoyed this as we kind of diverted away and uh, came back to uh, one of our more specialty episodes. Um, so remember, you can find more about us at Legend of Portalcast on Facebook and Instagram, Portalcast Pod on Twitter, and you can find more on our website at legendofportalcast.com. Um, and if you are interested in supporting the show, becoming a patron, you can find out more by visiting our Patreon at patreon.com slash legendofportalcast. And, but for now, and until next time, comrades, live the salute.